Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Weekend Barbecue Guru Show. Coming to you from a cold, cold east coast in Brunswick, Georgia. Right now, the temperature is 36 degrees. Unbelievable for this uh, period of time. Uh, I know it gets cold in the winter, but uh, it's been in the 20s the last, oh, probably four days out of the last seven it's been uh, into the 20s, so everything growing outside, my jalapeno plant is in, my uh, lemon tree is in, and all the other nice little trees or uh, flowers are are in. I was looking out, I have a avocado that uh, I couldn't bring in but and forgot to cover, and it looks like it may be gone. I have two, and that one might be gone, but still have another avocado uh, tree in the making. So today is going to be a great day. Today what I'm going to do is grill grill some quail. I'm going to wrap it with bacon. And then I'm going to sprinkle some seasoning. Uh, it could be some Old Bay or it could be uh, my Applewood rub. But I'm going to uh, do grill a bacon-wrapped seasoned quail now if you've not had quail you're missing out it's smaller than a chicken it's probably about the size of a, a good size uh, turkey breast one side and, but they're very very tasty very very tasty I went uh, was going to see if I could find some lamb but I couldn't find it that is if you uh, checked out the website uh, WeekendBarbecueGuru.com. I talked about perhaps doing uh, lamb if it was available and if the price was right. And if, uh, I guess if it uh, hit me, hit me what to do, but uh, went and struck out. So quail, I haven't done quail. So that's uh, what's on the menu today. I thought about uh, brining it in uh, some salt water and Oh, probably for about a couple hours, but I thought, no, you know, I'm just going to uh, wrap it in bacon and do it that way. Perhaps the next time when I do a chicken and brine it, I may uh, throw in some, some quail there too and just have a poultry uh, weekend uh, barbecue for that. To go along with it, I got some mushrooms, some asparagus, some zucchini, some onion, and I'm going to grill those also which uh makes for a good 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 side and makes for a good uh i guess they have a lot of uh nutrients in it that won't cause your blood sugar to go up or your blood pressure to rise but uh good good healthy vegetables there and then to top it off some fresh strawberries to uh, go along with that meal. So uh, it will probably take maybe 15 minutes to wrap and season the, the quail. And I'll put it out on my grill. Probably won't do the, the hickory chunks because it will probably come off a little too too uh, strong for, uh, for, the, for the quail. So it'll probably just be straight, uh, straight uh, charcoal, and I may chip off a little bit of a. I have some pecan, which is kind of a light wood. It might be a, a better instead of that thick uh, hickory smoke, but uh, apple or or pecan would do would do just fine, just just the chunks. And so uh, that's going to be what we're cooking today. Low country boil went great. Uh, Christmas Eve so here in a few minutes we'll be back we're going to take a short break because we're going to switch gears and I'm bringing on to the broadcast my buddy and good friend Tony Griffo and we're going to talk about uh, his recipe for uh, Christmas grilling with fish that should be very, very interesting. So we will be back here in just a second.
And we're back. Welcome in Tony Griffo, my buddy from New Jersey. How are things going? Everything's going great. Christmas was fantastic. Awesome, awesome. How's the weather? Cold. It was raining on Christmas Eve. Very, very bad winds on Christmas Eve. Uh, but Christmas Day cleared up. Now we are in uh, 30s and 20, high 20s, low 30s. That sounds like us, believe it or not. Yes, they were saying that Georgia was, um, it was 20, they said it was under 30 at one of the bowl games that they were having over the weekend. Wow. And I'm, I'm surprised, like, wow, it's that cold. Well, it's, it's different, uh, Georgia, like I live on the coast, and uh, the ocean kind of keeps uh, the temperatures, you know, warmer. But it was like 24 for like three or four of the uh, past uh, seven nights. That's not good at all. Oh, no. I, it is December going into January, so. That's true. It is wintertime. And wintertime always brings Christmas. Yes, it does. So I'm very, very interested on how the uh, fish dish turned out. Well, usually in uh, Italian families, and there's different kinds. My grandfather came from Sicily as a 10-year-old boy to America, and he brought his traditions uh, some people come from a little town in Italy called Malfetta, where there's lots of fish. And the tradition is you have seven, any kinds of fish you want on Christmas Eve. That could be shrimp. That could be, um, as other people call it, they, they, they pronounce it the way it's spelled. They say calamari. In Italian-American families, we say calamari, which is basically squid. And you can have that different ways. We like to have it fried. You will clean it, take all the plastic inside out of the, the squid, and then you can cut it up where you have rings or you have the tentacles. My, um, my wife's aunt and my wife do a great. They take the tentacles and they'll put them in bread, egg and breadcrumb and then fry them in a little bit of oil or, or roast them in the oven. They come out great. Then you can have, you can take the whole pocket of the squid itself and fill it with a mixture of cheese, and, uh, grated cheese, breadcrumbs, and then you can, again, stick, uh, stick um, toothpicks through it, and then you can cook it in your gravy. Uh, interesting story. When my mother first married my father, my mother was not Italian. She was German and Irish. She cooked eel for him. And... His family neglected to tell her that the eels move while they're cooked in the frying pan. So my father always told the story is how we heard a shriek from the kitchen and ran out. And there's my poor mother with a wood spoon saying, kill him, kill him. There's no <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. That's kind of like the old joke uh, in Oklahoma where you order your steak rare. You say, well, they must have just uh, brought it in from the corral. fried shrimp and for years I used to um, when my mother's mom lived with us uh, I would she taught me how to uh, devein the shrimp from the back and my New Year's Eve memories were sitting with her at the kitchen table deveining the shrimp watching the Sun Bowl from uh, El Paso yes which was on CBS and it would her, her soap opera would be over she used to, she used to love watching Young and the Restless, and after that was over, we would be um, devaining the shrimp together and getting macaroni and cheese ready for New Year's Eve dinner. And those are just some of the memories with both sides, the Italian side and the German-Irish side of my um, um, grandparents. Wow, that's that's uh, that's cool. That uh, that squid calamari, I you know I see it on menus all the time around here, but never really. Uh, thought about uh, where it came from or, or what, but uh, that's interesting. That's Italian, huh? Yes. it's based, Basically, my friends, when I was growing up, always told me, you like to eat bait. I said, no, it's squid. And they would laugh. And there's also octopus. There's a restaurant by us here in Clifton that makes an unbelievable sautéed octopus in garlic. It, it's, it gives you two very large... Um, legs of the octopus 
So wait, uh, now say that again about uh, the the butter. Oh yeah, it, it, the uh, uh, octopus leg is almost like butter. You can cut it with a fork without a knife. It's so tender, and you can have it with lots of garlic inside the uh, juice or without. It is just absolutely delicious. We found this little place. It's a hole-in-the-wall restaurant. It seats maybe 10 tables inside. Everything is homemade. It's just absolutely delicious. So if you see octopus and um, squid on your on uh, your menus, if you, especially if you live in a coastal area and you know what goes straight from um, sea to table, it could be some of the best food and the best seafood you've ever had. I I know there's a there's a rule of thumb in Oklahoma: don't eat the seafood because you never know how long or how old it is. So, so what did you do uh, Christmas? What 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 did you guys uh, eat? Um, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day was with my sister-in-law, and uh, Annie made um, her lasagna, and she had eggplant and chicken parm, chicken parm and meatballs and she made a sunday gravy and her gravy had um sausage uh veal and brajol which is a a small piece of a small piece of steak which is pounded and you fill it with um parmesan cheese breadcrumbs maybe some diced onions a little diced garlic you roll it up put toothpicks through it then you cook it in the uh, the tomato sauce, or as we call it, you cook it in the gravy, and then you have that. So, of course, as Italians, we had appetizers with two kinds of salami, a, a gabagol, some brazut, three kinds of cheeses, mozzarella, brivolone, uh, and what they call scamuts, which is a uh, dried mozzarella. And of course, sun-dried tomatoes, olives, brisut um, bread, and regular bread. And then the desserts were fabulous. Homemade um, truffoli, which is a little honey balls. Homemade um, anisette cookies, which my wife made this year, where you actually have anisette in the icing and inside the cookie itself and cheesecake and just enough where if you weren't lucky you went into a diabetic coma <laughs> what kind of a prep time are you looking at that seems like an awful lot of uh prep work does that take quite a bit yeah well basically my sister-in-law made the eggplant and the uh chicken parm chicken parm she made that day but she would fry the chicken and had the time um she would um she would make the lasagna and the eggplant ahead of time and let it set in the refrigerator and then put it on the stove, put it in the oven on Christmas Day and let it cook that way. Um, the prep time with the cookies wasn't that long. In fact, Bernice made them, um, I think it was Tuesday when she was off work. She had the week off, so she made them Tuesday for, for, for Wednesday for Friday. And it's not that long prep time because she has the KitchenAid, which helps make the dough. But, yeah, there's a lot that goes in. The gravy is cooked in the morning, though. That That's cooked fresh on Christmas Day. Everything else could be a little prepped ahead of time. Um, like you'll, you'll roll out the cold cuts the night, the, the afternoon before and let them stay in the fridge. The... Um, the mozzarella is a little tricky because it has to stay in um, stay in salt water, and you, you got to take it out to let it get the room temperature, or it tastes a little like refrigerator. So you just have to make sure you get everything set. But yeah, it is uh, a little. And she also tried to make um, in Italian they're nicknamed afrites. They're little. Uh, they look like an empanada. But it's not sealed, and you can put tuna fish, ham and cheese, tomato or mozzarella, and she was trying to make that, but the dough she used was a little bit on the hard side. The only trouble is, all the people who made them before have passed on, and the recipes are there, and if you don't have the right dough, it's not going to come out as good as it is. 
Nobody knows the recipe to that. It's it's lost like uh, what the the Ark of the Covenant's lost. The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, we probably need Indiana Jones to go find it. <laughs> the thing was, it was the uh, recipe's there, but in order to make it perfect, you have to use your own dough, and that means you have to make your own dough. You can't cheat with pizza dough or other dough because it's not exactly like a calzone. It has to be softer. The dough has to be um, when it's when they're fried. They, they can't be as hard as say a calzone. You can't have it too soft because you don't want the cheese or the tuna fish or the um, the ham to be soaked. Excuse me, soaked up by the dough. So. They, what they want to is uh, my wife, her sister, and her niece, they want to get together and do it some year, but actually make their own dough. And the problem is if you make so many of the little afrits, you might have to use two, three batches of dough, so you would have to keep your kitchen aid running. As soon as one batch is done and you start, people would start rolling and someone else has to make the second batch of dough and you had to get it just right because we all know how tricky dough is and at this point some of it might has to, might have to rise so you can get that you can stuff the insides with something so you gotta gotcha. worry about yeast you gotta cover it with um, as they do they cover it with a um, a kitchen towel so it rises inside the pan and it's all kinds of intricate stuff um my wife learned how to cook from her mother's side of the family and how to bake from her father's side of the family. And in, in, most, in Italian families, there's always one daughter that cleans and one daughter that cooks. My wife is, well, not, not that she doesn't clean, but gotcha. she's a with that, but her cooking is, is uh, and her baking is superior. And I, I, I wish you could go on one of those cooking shows and show off her baking talents but sometimes it's a little rough you know you have two hours to bake this oh and you yeah got Je- you got jesse palmer standing there looking at you <laughs> like yeah his nfl career lasted long yeah. but he's got he's got he's got three gigs going you know he's on the food network he's on espn doing games he's got espn talking about games and I, I guess I guess if you if you're a successful quarterback like Joe Montana, you don't get asked to be on those shows. It's only unsuccessful quarterbacks like Jesse Palmer and Kirk Herbstreit who lead the the charge on those shows. I don't know. Uh it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, your wife, mm-hmm. and you and you were talking about uh, her uh, her baking. What's what do you think? Uh, how would she do, like, say, smoking ribs? Is she is, is baking her her thing, or could she do the grill and the smoker and all that? Has she but ever tried? Bernice can do just about everything. When I made the ribs the first time using your following your directions, and when I wrapped them up, yeah, we put them in the oven, and and she's the wizard of the oven because our oven cooks a little on the fast side. So we have to always judge with the timing right. that we have. Right. So sometimes when something, well, actually it cooks on the slow side, I'm sorry. So if something says 12 minutes, we usually put it in for 12, but we got to watch and maybe put it a couple minutes longer. So when things go low and slow in the oven, right. they're, they're pretty good. I mean, and then sometimes you'll use the, um, the slow cooker, which makes great um, pulled pork, pulled chicken, pulled beef and he just set it and forget it we cheat a little bit when it gets too cold to go out <laughs> and grill things we'll put it in the slow cooker and then we have the air fryer which is just like being outside because we put no oil in it and it just drips into the pan so there's no um you're not frying in anything it's just frying in the air i've and seen those i've seen those <laughs> Yes, they, things come out. Things come out those really, really well. And the newest one now has uh, five different racks you can slide in, and it also has a uh, rack that you can make muffins in the air fryer. So when it's too cold to go out and barbecue, or hey, just a second. Hey, let me let me ask you this. 
So your kitchen aid is your mixer that, that helps, uh, I guess, get the, the dough ready. What other kind of tools uh, besides uh, your air fryer, which I haven't heard any bad thing about them, but like knives and things. Tell, tell us uh, things that you use to in your prep. Well, basically, we, we, bought, we bought a new set of knives. Uh, we like to buy the German knives. They do they do last. And we, I, have a, I have two different kinds of knife sharpeners. I have the long knife sharpener that you would just, you know. The whetstone? The whetstone? Yeah, the whetstone. We also have one of those, uh, a smaller one that you just, you, it, uh, it locks onto the, kit, the kitchen counter, and you can sharpen your knives that way. Um, we have all kinds my wife has the slow cooker. Uh, we have lots of things. We have, um, your grill. Yes. The grill outside. I have my Weber grill outside and I, um, we're starting to collect the, uh, La Crusade, uh, pots and pans from, um, from that company from France. And she, my wife likes to bake in those. We have the temptation, um, pots, and, uh, the, um, Baking red, the baking that. Um, How about cast iron? Yes, we have a, we have a cast iron. We have one cast iron uh, skillet, frying pan to put in. They're awful heavy to lift. The thing is with the can, the old fashioned ones were so heavy. Actually, my grandmother used to make her meatballs in it. Those meatballs came out great. There's nothing like it. But today, especially from people like Jeffrey Sicarian, the Iron Chef, do you come out with? Um, uh, cast iron skillets that are super light and they don't have to be seasoned and worked on and th- the newer technology is so much better for people who want to cook but I you mean, know what crazy. though but you know what let me interrupt you just for a second okay. there was nothing better than my grandma's cornbread cooked in a cast iron skillet back in the day no if you, if you still have one of those older ones that's something to keep for a long time. Uh, I'm just saying that the newer versions of them, uh, he just came out with a mandolin where you can slice things and it's a safety one where you're pushing it from. You just, instead of sliding it across, you're pushing it down. And Bernice got one off of QVC and it takes, the prep time is cut in half. And the slices of whatever you're slicing, be it tomato or celery or carrot or radish or garlic or whatever, they all come evenly with the same um, the same depth uh, or same width of um, slice. It's They're more really, uniform, right? More. The stuff they come out with now, the new inventions by these teams of um, these, these chefs, these iron chefs and uh, these other people in the food industry, this stuff is more streamlined now where it really helps you and it cuts time in the kitchen and it doesn't make cooking a chore anymore. It makes it like, Ooh, look at this. I, I just saved a half an hour of my prep time. That means I got a half an hour more to just sit back and let my food cook. <laughs> right. Right. You know, uh, we did here at, uh, the weekend, barbecue guru's house so on christmas eve we did a low country boil and i peeled shrimp about four pounds of shrimp and man i didn't think i was ever going to get done but i i know uh i know what that's like uh kind of doing it the old way but uh like you said this new stuff uh, makes makes prep time easier and it looks better and it's more uniform shaped but speaking of my grandmother's uh cornbread kind of reminds me of uh I saw your post on uh, Facebook about uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. I was yes. I was watching that game too, but I was in Duncan, Oklahoma, watching that game. I think every kid in America was watching that game on TV because it started off in in really bad weather. It was the last game ever played in Memorial Stadium. Arrowhead was going to open the next season. And it was sloggy. And then the fact that it went into uh, two overtimes. And it was the uh, the kicker from a, a country that nobody ever heard. I mean, not many people know where Cyprus is on the map. And Garrow, your premium was this little balding uh, kicker that weighed about maybe 100 pounds soaking wet. And he winds, and he also kicked left-footed. Cyprus? 
Cyprus? Where's, where's Cyprus? Cyprus is near Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. And I only know that as being a history teacher and um, studying world history with the Greeks and the Romans. <clears throat> I can figure that out. I mean, yeah, Jan Stenerud was from one of the snowy parts of Europe. I don't know if it was uh, Switzerland or Austria. Oh, he's Nordic, and, though. He was Nordic. Yeah, yes. And he actually, they, they interviewed him. I'm still alive or not, but I know they interviewed him in 2012, and he hung up on the interviewer saying, would you like to talk about my mother's funeral as well, about bringing up that game because he missed two field goals that day that would have won the game for Kansas City. And, I mean, sometimes you got to ask the questions, and sometimes you got to lay off. I mean, right. you know, look at all the heat that Buckner took in Boston with the ball goal. He should have never been on the field anyway. He should have been, should have been replaced. I mean, even as a Mets fan, if you're going to play defense in that situation, you have him out because the man could hardly walk. But McNamara wanted him in there as finally being a World Series champ and see how that worked out for him. Right, right. So I watched uh, some basketball last night. Uh, can't really get into some of the college bowl games, but I did watch the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they are a totally different team now than what they have been with uh, the past superstars. They they won, they beat Charlotte, but uh, they almost blew it. But man, you gotta you gotta embrace these guys. They're uh, they are really really passing the ball, moving the ball around, and taking good shots. They're not just dribble 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 shoot a three pointer. I mean. And I'm kind of anxious uh, for uh, the hockey season to uh, start, too. Uh, how is your Rangers going to be? Well, with the first pick in the draft, they took the kid that was the overall. I mean, this kid was touted to be right away start as a left winger. So they had, um, they had two picks in this year's draft. Last year, they had the second overall pick. They did make the play. I don't know how they did the season, but they made the playoffs last year. Lost three straight to Carolina, but then for some strange quirk wound up with the first pick in the draft, and they they took the kid from Can they took the kid who lives in Canada, and hopefully the season can start sometime in January, and they could keep themselves. I hope they don't even use home. I think I would hope they go back to the bubble. And I know it's an infringement on the fans, but I'd rather see almost nobody in the seats and not having to see them travel back and forth on airplanes and keep it the way they had the playoffs last year in the bubbles right. where they're just using one. I mean, I don't know if you can do that with a full stadium. I mean, what's what's the idea with um, with the NBA? Are they playing in their home? Well, they are they are they're playing in their home courts, but they like Oklahoma City. The plan was not to let people in for a while. If if they do, it's going to be social distance and maybe twenty percent full. But still, I mean, just think about how it used to be, how crowds used to affect games. But since there's no crowd, there's no pressure put on the players by uh, the fans. So it's 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 an entire. I guess we're really looking at a pure game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it's at, there's there's nothing. Momentum is not by the crowd noise. Momentum is not by and momentum is going to be just by the players. I mean, I know I remember watching the heyday when um, the Knicks were making their runs and the Garden was so electric when uh, Jordan and the Bulls or. Um, uh, Magic and the Lakers came in, or Bird and the Celtics came in, or even past that when they were playing uh, San Antonio or Houston. There were so many games in which, especially with Indiana and Reggie Miller, there were so oh, many games yeah. where they would fall behind by double digits and the, the crowd just willed them back into the game. And you're not going to see that in um, any sport until we're back to normal. And it's it's funny when you when you're watching the games on TV and there's no crowd noise and you can actually hear. 
Hey, hey, uh, you're Irish. Uh, they got a big uh, game coming up too, uh, and the crowd won't uh, be uh, there much of a factor, will there, or, or will they? Well, that's the reason they moved the game from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena to uh, uh, Jerry's backyard in Texas because they wanted fans to show up. Uh, Brian Kelly made the comment about how can we have a bowl game like this, a semifinal game for the national championship, and not have the parents see the kids. And then Dabo Sweeney, the coach of Clemson, said the almost the same exact thing. And the powers that be in the college football playoff came to their senses and figured why subject the players going to California where COVID is, is kind of rampant, moving it to Texas where you can have at least 20, 25% of the stadium filled up. Um, it's going to be, I mean, Florida showed the key. You have to be able to run a little bit. You cannot just worry about the pass. And with the three Irish runners and their front five, they'll get um, Tommy Kramer back, who was um, all first-team ACC. He's coming back from an appendectomy. Uh, their center's still out, but they have they, – they finally – I think they're going to use the, the one backup. And you just hope that the three-headed monster of uh, Kieran Williams, um, Chris Tyree, and Sebo Flemish that can gain some – Yardage, and the other good thing is Mac Jones doesn't run, so you don't have to worry about the RPO that Trevor Lawrence poses on you. So maybe they can bend in that break. I mean, the last time this happened when Alabama was number one facing Notre Dame took place two years in a row in '73 and '74, and I remember that Sugar Bowl on New Year's Eve. Me too. Now, that was the Tommy Clemens pass out of the end zone on third and nine to Robin Weber for 35 yards. And Ben Bryant never even saw it because he was turned around looking at his punt return team because he figured, uh, I was just going to hand off and punt out of the end zone on an icy, rainy night at Tulane Stadium. But uh, Aaron gambled and it pulled off for the following year in the Orange Bowl. Notre Dame came in with, I think it was two losses because they got crushed by USC last game of the season and it was Aris final game and they beat Alabama this time by one point I think it was 14-13 and two years in a row they kept Bear Bryant from winning national championships one in the Sugar one in the Orange yeah. I don't know what they can do against Nick Saban's team but I, sometimes if you, you look at Alabama and you say could they compete in the NFC East uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> hey, uh, that uh, that that USC game was that the Anthony Davis uh, game? Yes, he, he he crushed them two years. It was the the seventh the year before the Notre Dame year before Notre Dame won the national championship. He exploded and danced in the end zone where he scored touchdowns. And after they won the national championship, Notre Dame was up twenty four. It was in 24 nothing or 24-7 at halftime, and they just exploded for 40. They just went wild. He would turn the opening kickoff for the second half. I remember that. Touchdown. I remember it was that. Just, yeah, that the, the, the Los Angeles Coliseum is a house of horrors for no <laughs> uh, 64 with the phantom offensive holding that negated a touchdown when Arrow would have been undefeated. Their first year, he was the coach. Uh, the year before the national championship, the year after the national championship, yeah, they and that all started because Newt Rockney, I think, it was Howard Jones was the was the coach at USC at the time, and they started this trans-continent rivalry where they would go and play. They'd take the train, the wouldn't they? Yes, they would take the train, and it wound up being one of the of another venue for a hundred thousand people to see Notre Dame play somebody. Um, that was basically uh, it was just a uh, actually I guess putting uh, Notre Dame on the the national map for publicity. 
So basically the publicity uh, tour back in the day put Notre Dame front and center and basically became uh, America's uh, collegiate team, sort of like uh, Dallas was back in the 70s as America's team. But uh, Notre Dame, I guess, has been America's team for a long, long time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, lots of publicity. It all started with Rocky. Actually, they actually have a part of the Army-Irish football game from 1913 when Rockney was a player. If you've ever seen a movie by John Ford called The Long Gray Line about Marty Marr, who was the, um, he was a sergeant at West Point and he was in charge of all the, um, the cadets. And he served there from before World War One all the way up until uh, Eisenhower was president. And he had all those players. He, he was friendly with all those cadets who would later become generals and the publicity of playing um usc especially going across country by train at the train stops the one year um rockney played he had practices at the fields where the train stopped over and he put the wrong guy playing fullback and the news got back to the coach of usc that the fullback was slow and disoriented and of course <laughs> in the game rockney puts the real fullback in who runs wild over um, uh, runs wild over the Trojans? Uh, it also goes back to um, Grantland Rice, the great sports writer, who wrote the piece uh, on a cold gray October across a gold a cold gray October sky. The four horsemen rode again when they beat uh, Army at Yankee Stadium in New York, and then one of the public relations guys at Notre Dame figured. Let's do it. They put the guys on horses holding footballs, and that became one of the most famous photos. I've seen it. Nineteen twenties of the four horsemen holding, you know, on on top of horses holding footballs, and they used to play at Soldier Field in Chicago, and then then the uh, win one for the Gipper speech came out, and then uh, the movie in nineteen forty with uh, Pat O'Brien as Newt Rodney and. A young man named Ronnie Reagan playing George Gipp. I mean, yeah, it, they used to call it the Subway Alumni. Huh. People, people from all over um, cities in the Northeast who grew up Catholic or grew up Irish, and Notre Dame was just their team. In fact, my one history professor at um, Seton Hall told us that his his father had a um, had a slogan. So during the 30s, you don't bet against Notre Dame, FDR, or the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. Boy, murderer's row, that's for sure. You know, uh, that movie, Unnecessary Roughness, that came out, I think, in the 90s? That was, yeah. actually, that was actually filmed at uh, North Texas University, University of North Texas. And the referee that goes through the gyrations on the unsportsmanlike conduct, he's actually a professor at the University of Oklahoma, or was. He, he taught film studies. And did acting on the side because he was also in a movie called Arlington Road, and he plays like the evil scout leader in that one. And he he uh, just teaches full time and does you know acting on the side. So those those actors they have regular jobs too, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, when when you're trying to you're trying to make it in that that profession, that's. That's one of the toughest. I mean, you take anything you get. I mean, you, you wonder sometimes why uh, you look at these commercials and you say, wow, man, they don't, they don't, they couldn't pay me enough. And then you realize that that could be a struggling actor who that's his main gig is doing commercials. And you know what? That's how he supports his family. So, you know, God bless them that they'll do all that work and be those people in those commercials because they might get a chance. I mean, here in, in New York, we wa- I watched the news, and years ago, Chris Raggy, who was the, um, he, he's the, the, um, the anchor for the 12 o'clock news, he started as a sports guy and worked his way up, and now he's the head anchor at 12 noon every day for the CBS affiliate in New York. Hey. So things happen. You know, the, uh, the sheriff of, uh, on that Dr. Pepper commercial, uh, Bosworth, Yes. He is, uh, I'll pick up. Uh, all right. Uh, 
he is a realtor on the side. Like when he left the Seahawks, he sold real estate out in California. That's what I was told. But uh, he had a short-lived NFL career, uh, injuries and things like that that happened back in college. But uh, that's just one of those things. Uh, I am the weekend barbecue guru, but I got a day job. So it's not like I do this full time. It's just, just like everybody else. I know the guy who's the voice of the Sooners, the dude actually has three jobs. He has a radio morning show. He does sports on TV, and then he does all the Sooner stuff. So it's not like uh, you get to Hollywood and you make it, and life's over. You're you're you've made it. Uh, it's it's a it's the daily grind. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, and basically you look at the coaches. I mean, if you're if you're a coach of a major team in the college basketball, football, hockey, even baseball, you have those sideshows where you're interviewed. The, the the radio or TV station will give you maybe I don't know, however much money you're going to get, but you do the sideshows. And what most coaches do is because I I've been to them when I was uh, younger. I went as a I got gigs at um, Rutgers and Manhattan University and Seton Hall, and the coaches will have clinics for little kids. And the coach has the name to the clinic, but he gives all the money up from it to his assistant coaches so they can actually have something to do during the summer. And they'll usually go maybe two weeks in June, maybe a week in July, and or two weeks in July, and you'll have these summer camps, <clears throat> excuse me, for, the, for kids to go, and there's sleepover camps, and they go from Sunday to, to Saturday or Sunday to Friday, and they're cool because the kids get to play, and former players come back, and um, the assistant coaches make a big thing out of it. You know, you have awards ceremony, and the parents can come. And it's kind of cool. Plus, you're learning... Um, basketball tips and sportsmanship <coughs> from the um, from the colleges. I mean, I, I didn't go to big... That you heard what's name yesterday, Calipari in Kentucky, saying that this is the worst schedule he's made in his life. He goes, you're supposed to schedule games where your teams can win. Right. Like, cupcakes. Like, now. <laughs> you know, like, look, like Dick Lake House there, Cupcake City. Right, right. You know, even in football, the SEC couldn't uh, schedule their cupcakes, you know, like, as they usually do. You know, Oklahoma, they couldn't schedule their cupcakes either. It's, it's been a different year, and it's been, I guess, true sports games. And, you know, Oklahoma didn't have those cupcakes, and they struggled early, and that's why they're not in the playoffs. And, and again, you see how tough it is to beat a team twice in the same year. Right. Iowa State. Iowa State. Upset Oklahoma early in the season, but in that Big 12 championship game, I mean, is, is anyone going to put the nickname Snake on Spencer Rattler? I mean, <laughs> someone call him Snake Rattler? I mean, wouldn't that be cool hearing the announcer over the radio or the TV telling you, and the Rattler goes back to pass, ooh, a dart and a snake. Just throw it in there. I mean, he's got the perfect name. Well, well, if he was left-handed, that would be even better, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. It would, just, it would be like Kenny the Snake Stable from uh, the Raiders. Oklahoma, Alabama. I mean, when he was in, he replaced Namath at Alabama, and then when he got into the pros, he did. He may not have had the strongest arm in the world to throw ninety yards, but he was on. When he got in his zone, he, he could throw 10, 12 completions in a row, and he had. Cliff Branch, and he had Fred Bolitnikoff. Oh, yeah. Had, Dave Casper. Had, Dave Casper, the tight end. Dave Casper, the ghost of the post. I read about Dave Cannon because he was, well, was it Bill? What's that? The, the, the tight end from Notre Dame. That's, that was Casper, wasn't it? No, that, no, the tight end on the Raiders. I think it was Billy Cannon. Oh, he yeah, years the, ago. No, he was LSU. He was not. Yes, he, he was the movie. Everybody's all American. That was based on. Right. He was a running back at first, wasn't he? Right. He was a run. And what happened was when he was at LSU, when he, when he was in Louisiana high school, he got in trouble. Hey, sec. Hey, uh, LSU. You mean uh, Joe Burrow? You LSU?
Yes. Joe Burrow, you, uh, Billy Cannon got in trouble in high school. And the judge who was uh, on a case put him on probation for three years. He could not leave the state of Louisiana for three years. That knocked every other Southeastern Conference team out of the running. And he signed his um, National Eleven Tenth for LSU. And I don't know if it was 56 or 58 one year. He had this unbelievable punt return in the rain against Mississippi to keep LSU at number one. Um, it's just amazing when you look back at college, especially bowl games, and you look at uh, football at uh, Christmas time. I like last night watching the Raider uh, Dolphin game. My mind went right back to um, Stable being tackled and thrown it up for grabs in the end zone, and Clarence Davis, the worst, the worst hands in the entire Oakland backfield. Uh, beating two Dolphins to the ball and ending their streak where the Dolphins are trying to go for three Super Bowls in a row. I remember that. I was and, for the Raiders. And, and the Raiders beat them uh, out on the coast in Oakland. It was, um, you know, when it used to be a 14-game schedule and playoff games would exist during Christmas time, it was just, it was just, it was just great. And I remember a couple years where New Year's Day fell on a Sunday, and because of the NFL, the bowl games are played on Monday, January 2nd. Gives you an extra day to watch um, an extra day of football because you had the, uh, the the pro games on Sunday when it went. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you, how do you feel about the proposal of putting a second bye week and another round of playoffs so the Super Bowl coincides with President's Day, and everyone gets the Monday off. Mm, you know, uh, in Canada, the Canadian League, they have two bye weeks. But so they also play like a 20-week schedule, too. So I think probably the rest will make for better football, but uh, it's just going to make the season longer. I don't know if that was really the intent. to the preseason games you know I understand why they do it but you know they don't they don't have preseason games in college they, just, they, they, they go and play and, and another thing that uh, I wish they'd get away from which maybe they will is uh, the Pro Bowl nobody watches it and nobody cares because they've got so so crazy with the rules just trying to draw attention that I don't I can't tell you the last time I watched the Pro Bowl no Trestman that uh, coached guys at all levels was saying that uh, there's not going to be a senior bowl because uh, of the COVID and stuff. So even the draft's going to be affected because you're not going to be able to uh, 
go in person, I guess, and see the guys. You have to watch, I guess, a lot of tape. They're not going to do the East-West Shrine game, from what I understand. Of course, it may change, but uh, the last time I heard him say, and it was they were off. So I was, I mean. Well, that, that, that's good and bad in a way. I would rather, that, that's good because nobody can get hurt. Right. It, it's bad because nobody can see them. And basically, I mean, I, I really don't understand. I, I, I don't understand scouting because the Giants made the big stink last year about having to trade up to get Daniel Jones because um, Gettleman, their GM, said he watched them warm up for the senior bowl and knew he was the quarterback he needed. And it's like, seriously? Uh-huh. Between, between injuries and turnovers, you look, I and mean, I know it's easier to look back now, but at the time, you're saying to yourself, don't. You can get him later. I wanted the defensive end, outside linebacker from Kentucky, and they didn't draft him. Uh, Josh Allen that went to the Jaguars, right? Yes. Then the Giants decided to cut Romeo Okora, and he goes to Detroit and leads them two years in a row with sacks. But he couldn't help the defense. Then last year, as I like to call him, turnover Jones, pads his stats, wins a meaningless game against the Redskins, and suddenly the Giants go from the second pick in the draft to the fourth pick in the draft. What happens? Chase Young winds up with the Redskins instead of with the Giants. You mean the Washington football team? Uh, Washington, yeah, the Washington football team, excuse me. <laughs> that's all right. I mean, I mean, seriously, that, that's two years in a row with, with a little bit more scouting and a little bit like, you know, don't win or don't go out to win where you could have had bookend outside linebackers and that really would have helped the defense a lot than what it's playing now. I mean, the defense is playing better. The offense has nothing. And Saquon Barkley hurt two years in a row. Yeah, missing, that... missing, missing almost the entire season. Because, again, you have to build with an offensive line. San Francisco did it. Indianapolis did it. Teams are doing it. You build with your offensive line. Right. You have to watch the – if scouts cannot – if you and I can sit at our TV screen and watch a college game and say, wow, look at that kid. He's a man among boys as the offensive right tackle or left tackle or pulling guard, and you say to yourself, wouldn't he look good in my pro team's uniform? If we can see that, then what are these guys doing who are getting paid and that's their only job, player personnel and head advanced scouting and going to the combines and going to the games and checking it out. And you wonder, yes, hockey, crapshoot. Baseball, crapshoot. Basketball and football shouldn't be. Well, Basketball, basketball only, has, only has two rounds. So you're getting the top 60 kids or however many kids in coming out of college or coming out of Europe. But in football... I mean, I know you dread. I mean, look, Joe Montana was picked in the fourth or fifth round. I understand that. People thought he was too skinny. His arm wasn't strong enough. Turned out to have a pretty good pro career playing for the 49ers and the Chiefs. But I know you can find diamonds in the rough. I always look for running backs in the second and third round. Offensive Offensive and defensive linemen should go in the first rounds. That's what I'm always mad about. The Giants, oh yeah, Giants pick Odell Beckham Jr. Who picks next? Cowboys. Who do they pick? Zach Martin. Zach Martin was the, was the only the first Cowboy rookie ever to make the All Pro team. Well, here's 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 the thing about scouting, and uh, here's uh, the thought uh, when you're building your NFL franchise. And there's four positions that are considered the cornerstones, uh, left tackle and quarterback on offense and rush end and corner on defense. The problem is quarterbacks in college play different types of uh, offenses. It's not like in the NFL where you play West Coast or you're Eric Coriel or you play the Patriots offense. There's basically three. Now four was uh, with the air raid starting to come in out, you know, in Arizona. But the problem is 
they take a quarterback who, let's say, like in Jacksonville, Gardner Minshew played it with Mike Leach there in Washington State, was purely air raid. They take him, throw him in, and try to get him to run a pro style like the the Patriots type of offense, and it's like trying to get uh, oh Muggsy Bowl to play center. It's it's yeah. it's not a fit. It, it's it's uh, I'll, I'll tell you I'll take you back to so we were talking about the Raiders before. Daryl Monica played at Notre Dame through three passes a game because he had a lousy coach. No, it was the coach before. It was the coach before Arapaho got there in '64, and Lamonica went out to the Raiders, and it was Al Davis just win, baby. And like you said before, he became the Mad Bomber. Yeah, he was all all over the place. He had Warren Wells and Fred Belitnikoff, and then later Cliff Brandt showed up, and he was throwing the ball all over. And Oakland was leading the league in uh, in uh, receptions and yardage. And again, you, instead of trying to fit the square peg in the round hole, let's get players that fit. Right, right, exactly and, and, right. Or, or get a coach that's going to adapt what they're going to do. I mean, everyone said the coach, at, the, the, the current coach at, Saint, at, at uh, Arizona, uh, King, Kingsbury. Kingsbury, right, from Texas Tech. Everyone, Oh, how's he gonna be? How's he gonna be a coach? He's never coached before as a head coach in his life. Well, he took his offense. He got the right quarterback for it in Kyler Murphy. Kyler Murray. Murray. He's he he Kyler is an air raid quarterback too at you know, Oklahoma. And, and he can also run. That's the big difference. I mean, a lot of people. Yes, Lamar Jackson can run in the NFL, but it's it's one hit by a middle linebacker and or safety. His season can be over. Right. I mean, whoever wins the Tyler uh, Lawrence sweepstakes, that's going to be a Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. That's going to be the same thing. Trevor Lawrence is six six. He can run. He's got a great arm. He's a generational player, but he's one middle linebacker hit from being, being broken out in half. Joe Burrow was right, right. And <laughs> the idea, like in Jacksonville, because I hear they're talking heads all the time, talk about how you got to have a guy who. Who's, who stay stands tall in the pocket? Well, you got a guy that's like six one in uh, Minshew, who is a kind of like a uh, Brett Favre type, where he's a, a gunslinger and kind of improvs. That will, mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to play Mike Glennon today, who is like uh, a big stiff. So I'm not expecting much, but see, that's the thing you have. You have analytics coming in, too, that says you need to do this and that. Well, every time uh, Marone, Doug Marone, the coach of the Jaguars, does that, it's like disaster city because you're talking old school to new school, and there's a huge, huge gap where there's nothing in between to fill it. Mm-hmm. So, so, some coaches get too stubborn uh, playing seniors over freshmen, uh, playing the high-paid athlete over – the, the hungry kid who's the last kid on the bench who can be a spark plug. I mean, that's why I, I always look at I always look at the kids from the naval academies, the, I mean, the military academies, Navy, Army, Air Force, and I love that the president allowed them that they could defer their time. If they want to go and try out for a pro team, they could, and then they could go into their um, – they can do their service to their country. That was the one thing he kept Napoleon McCallum. He would go all the time, and he would he would train. He would get his leave, and he would go to a pro scout a training camp, and he would wow everybody. But then his time was up, and he had to go back to his naval service. Well, By the time you know, he did get to the navy, his he was five years older. You know, uh, oh well. Uh, what do you think about uh, the final four? The to me, it's pretty much made all the other bowl games irrelevant. Uh, but the final four, which I think ought to be eight, but uh, the final four, I'm going to predict the final. Mm, I don't know. Let me hear what you, you think, and then I'll maybe that will sway my thinking. Who, what, what do you think? Well, if I, vote with my, if I vote with my heart rather than my head, it will be Notre Dame, Ohio State. If I vote with my head – Instead of my heart, I'll probably go with the favorites, Clemson and um, 
Ohio, uh, Clemson and Alabama, but Ohio State's getting players back. They are going to get players back earlier than they thought, so they're going to have a full team against um, Clemson. Um, Clemson is just Clemson is Clemson. I mean, I don't know if it's the culture of players, but Ohio State's a lot fresher, only playing the six games. Justin Fields can get hot. They can score with just about anybody in college football today, but their defense, I mean, Indiana hung 35 on them, and if it wasn't for uh, a pick six by Ohio State, that game could have been 35-35 going down when Indiana had the ball last. Alabama is just Alabama, but their center hurt himself against uh, Florida in the eight in the uh, big uh, SEC championship game, and that could hurt. I mean, there's Tua's cousin and Kurt Heinisch in the middle for Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a running attack that maybe if they can pull what Ohio State pulled a couple years ago when Ezekiel Elliott ran all over Alabama and then ran all over um, Oregon and uh, Marcus Mariota when they had a third-string quarterback, Ohio State. So, of course, being a Notre Dame fan, I'm going to pull for my Irish and I'm going to pull for Ohio State just to see just to see that. Mm. I, I, I would like to see an interesting... Because if Notre Dame can pull off this... This would be bigger than 88, 66, 73. This would be all of those rolled up into one. How about a Notre Dame Clemson Act 3? How would that be? They, they, would have, they would have to do everything in the world to contain Lawrence running the ball. That'd be that neutral be, field too, be, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, it would be actually uh, Miami. They were playing Miami that game. I think where the Dolphins play, I'm not sure. Okay. That would that would be on, on the RPO. Never leave Lawrence alone. I don't care if he pitches the ATM into the middle of the field. Let him. If he's going to run the ball to the side, you have to just say he's never going to give the ball up. Just cover him. And if he does pitch the ball back to the inside, hey, let some other guys do it. But if you're an end and you're a corner or a safety and you see him running the ball, you move up and you hit him. And you hit him as you hit him like Buckus used to hit somebody. You hit him. <laughs> you, every every yard he gains, he feels it. Right. That, that's the way you have to play that. If he's going to – don't even act like he's not even going to pitch the ball. Just center on him. No, do not when, wherever he goes you hit him his long legs and again like everyone says his speed's deceiving because he's 6'6 he's got that long stride but wherever he goes hit him right he, he runs with the ball you gotta go low you gotta go around the knees you gotta go around the legs you gotta go around the ankles don't try to hit him up high go you know hit him in the, hit him in the thighs knock him down cross body blocks make him feel that every time he goes back to the huddle, he's a little more reluctant to call that play because he's getting beat up. All right. Final thought, uh, national champion. My heart says no today. My head says Alabama. All right, I'm going to go Ohio State because they're fresher than the rest of them. Crazy? It Is that a crazy thought? No, not at all. Because I, uh, six games compared well, to compared to 13, 12, 13 to everybody else. No, fresher legs will win out. All right. So New Year's Day's coming up. Uh, sounds like to me it's going to be maybe ribs or brisket uh, here for uh, barbecue. Weekend barbecue guru, what about uh, you? Well, sometimes we sometimes we have um, uh, we bake a ham on New Year's Day. Uh, this year, I know we we got some beef Wellingtons that we bought through QVC. We're gonna have them on uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, we're gonna uh, Bernice is gonna make uh, mac and cheese like she always does. We don't really have any special meal. We just um, 
you just like to sit back, enjoy. Um, Ryan Seacrest has the show every year, took taking over for Dick Clark. This year is going to be an even quieter New Year's Eve. It's going to be two of us. We're not having any family or friends over. It's just going to be us. And welcoming in 2021, which I'm hoping is a million times better than 2020 was. Uh, me so, too. Me so too. we can get out of we can get out of COVID and just sitting back and uh, reflecting and. You know, saying a prayer for everyone we lost and saying a prayer for everyone in the future. We're just hoping that, again, the new year comes ushered, the new year is ushered in and it's a lot better and we can get back to some normalcy. And again, the equalizer in all of this family, food, sports. That's absolutely right. Hey, and with that, that's going to wrap up uh, this episode of uh, the weekend barbecue guru show i appreciate you listening uh, check out the website at weekendbbqguru.com and i will catch you again hey thanks tony for coming no problem enjoyed no problem. it